This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello Hop Hooligans and welcome to another sesh on the Hop 4 podcast. Back in August my friend John Slumbers from Lord's Brewing Co in Huddersfield sent me a rather cryptic message. It was a one-liner email that read, got something you might want to be in on, call me. Naturally I was intrigued and hopped on the phone call straight away. John told me that after reading a statement written by Timothy Taylor's chief executive, Tim Dewey, on the 22nd of July, he had telephoned the brewery and asked to speak with Tim directly to clarify various points within the statement regarding the brewery's position on SBR. And while John, who I'm sure won't mind me saying this, didn't agree with Tim, they had a lengthy discussion to debate the topic and clear up some finer points, something I know that John appreciated. The reason for this conversation came about because one of the UK's larger family-owned breweries, West Yorkshire's Timothy Taylor's, welcomed the announcement from the Treasury that small breweries relief was to undergo, in the opinion of some, a long overdue reform. When calls to boycott breweries and pull out of pints ensued like a cascade of beer flowing from a DPV that's had its bottom valve left open, many of the breweries who form part of the Small Breweries Due to Reform Coalition scrambled to clarify their positions on social media with statements such as Our position with SBR has always been that no small brewer should pay more duty as a result of the reform. Yesterday's announcement doesn't benefit our brewery and was an opportunity missed to help small brewers at this critical time. We remain opposed to the duty increases for any brewer. And we became members of SBDRC, but we certainly do not agree with the reduction of the small brewer's threshold. This is an unwarranted, punitive and necessary step. While some of the larger breweries came out with statements almost as a knee-jerk reaction to some of the backlash they were facing on social media... Timothy Taylor's, on the other hand, didn't. As you can imagine, Timothy Taylor's quickly became the focal point in this debate, leaving many in the craft beer industry with a bitter taste in their mouths. Not on account of a cryer-hopped IPA, but that one of the more fashionable old-school family brewers had quickly become the quote-unquote enemy and the other myriad of other heavy words so lightly thrown. Personally, I didn't quite know what to make of all this. On the one hand... I don't agree that the proposed changes to SBR will help businesses grow because, and I've always tried to remain apolitical on this podcast, but that kind of growth leads itself to a capitalistic mindset. I don't think bigger is always better. I think better is better and you should strive to grow first and foremost by being better, regardless of whether you're one barrel or one million barrels. And because we all know Twitter is a terrible source of gathering information, and yet we all seem to have done our research by merely typing our questions into Google and reading the search results summary, I thought it would make more sense to contact Tim myself, taking a leaf out of John's book, to find out 
for myself how the reforms affect a brewery as large as Timothy Taylor's and make an informed decision by talking to a cross-section of people within the industry with varying perspectives. Now, me and John were hoping to collaborate and put out a fully-fledged mini-series on SBR together, but unfortunately, life and lockdowns sort of got in the way of all that. While for some, this topic may be divisive, I personally want to thank Tim for coming on the podcast to openly talk about the issue and answer some tough questions. And while I don't wholly agree with the Timothy Taylor stance, I did come away from the discussion both enlightened on certain aspects I'd not fully grasped, understood why they've taken their position on SBR, and I realised that for predominantly cast-producing breweries, there are arguments to be made for premiumising a product that has become a commodity item, and how subsidising cast beer through a discounted system, as you'll hear Tim argue, doesn't entirely aid that. However, I'm also aware there are lots of counter arguments surrounding cash value versus percentage, cask versus keg, pricing, what constitutes as craft beer, commodity beer, and a whole lot more, many of which you will hear in this discussion today. The main point of these two episodes, both last week's with Jack from Anspach and Hob Day and this week's with Tim Dewey from Timothy Taylor's, is to help facilitate a reasonable discussion and debate without throwing harsh words and yeastlery at each other, with a view to help people understand both sides of the argument and make an informed decision on their position. And I certainly hope that I've done that. Before we look at this week's featured job in association with Brew School, I wanted to highlight an issue that's occurring in Northern Ireland. You may remember some time back our guest Willie Main from Bullhouse Brewing Company coming on the show to talk about the difficulties of trading in Northern Ireland as an independent brewer. Willie wrote to me this last week to ask for help in spreading the word, so I'm going to play a clip from a video which highlights some of the issues they have surrounding uh, the licensing bill that is currently going through their legislative assembly and they are seeking to get an amendment to which will finally allow them to sell their own beer in their own tap rooms as well as for off-license sales. When it comes to opening and running a brewery, Northern Ireland is the most restrictive market in the whole world. The licensing laws here don't allow us to sell our own product in the brewery. It doesn't allow us to sell beer to go from the brewery directly. It's time for this nonsense to end. The problem of getting our beer in consumers' hands has been with us for a long time. It's something that puts people off. They can't just come and take take a pint at the bar that we have or take product home with them. This is the Heaney homestead where Seamus spent many of his formative years. So we do have uh, quite an important cultural link to one of Ireland's greatest literary figures. We're actually part of the Mid-Ulster Heaney Tourist Cluster group. We find it difficult to be part of that group and to give as much as we can because we're so limited to what we can offer at Heaney Brewery. We're met with bamboozled expressions from our visitors when we tell them that they can't buy any of our product. We also submitted an application for a separate building. It's down as an 80-seat tap room. At the minute, it'd be very, very difficult to, to see us going ahead with that. 
if we can't have the freedom to sell our own beer legally and responsibly on site. The biggest problem we have is that we can't sell uh, our beer to those um, tourists that come from far and wide uh, to, to visit Lakata. And it's quite embarrassing. You know, you've got a guy that's traveled all the way from the middle of America. He's seen the Giants Causeway. He's been to Bushmills. He's tasted their whiskey. And then he comes here and he's not allowed to buy any, any beer. And so we'd love to be able to, to, to sell our own beer on site. We don't want to sell uh, spirits. We don't want to be able to sell wine. We only want to be able to sell our own beer. We contribute massively in terms of taxation uh, relative to our size. We employ disproportionately more people. It's seems slightly perverse that people can come to a brewery and all we can allow them is a tiny sample of beer. That doesn't really help us. It doesn't encourage us to invest in that tourism. If we can't sell a pint of beer to a consumer that's come all the way to our site to see us, then, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, two fingers up to them a little bit. You should be able to come to this premises where we make the beer, have the best beer, have it the freshest they can, they can get it anywhere, and it will drive the industry forward and more pubs in the cities, in the towns, the country, will be emboldened to take our products on because they can see the success we'll be having with local trade and uh, tourism. Some people have voiced the concern that we're just looking to steal customers from our pubs. We love our pubs. None of us would be here without them. The pubs in Ireland are famous across the world for the experience that they give, for the hospitality and the warmth and the crack that they offer, the local and the tourist alike. Pubs will thrive off a market where their local breweries are world renowned, where people are traveling to Belfast and beyond to meet their local brewery and then go to the local pubs to enjoy the beer there. It wasn't long after we opened that craft beer really started to take off. It, it, it almost seems staffed. You can go and visit a local brewery, especially for tourists, yet you can't buy the beer once you're there. I certainly don't see it as competition to the pub. Uh, in fact, maybe the opposite. Because a similar example, we would, we would have tourists in who have maybe been up the north coast, visited Bushmills Distillery, and then they come in to us and ask what different Bushmills we have. I also think that the timing of this bill is important with Brexit, because buying local and supplying local is going to become more and more important. The main problem with the bill at the minute, uh, in its draft form, is that we're only still allowed to sell beer on site after a guided tour, some sort of small limited sample. And that obviously isn't enough, it doesn't go far enough. So we need your help. If you're an MLA, go into the assembly on Tuesday to hear the draft bill being read. We need your support. We want to extend the draft bill to take those limits out and allow us to sell our own beer in our own breweries for on-site consumption. If you're a member of the public, we really need your support too. You can contact your local MLAs, keep them up to date with the proposed draft, uh, voice your concerns and show your support for us. All the details for that will be on the website. A stronger independent beer scene in Northern Ireland benefits everybody. From the brewers to the wholesalers to the pubs and to the customer who gets to enjoy the very best our little country offers.
All the good bars, as well as most of the breweries in Northern Ireland, have grouped together to create the Northern Ireland Brewery and Independent Pub Association. So if you head over to craftbeerni.com, that's craftbeerni.com, you can find out how you can offer support to fellow brewers who are under even bigger strain right now due to the combination of licensing laws and COVID lockdowns. Each and every week, we're partnering with Brew School to highlight the latest brewing jobs and careers in the brewing industry. And this week's featured job is a new position that the St. Austell family group are introducing. They are looking for a beer enthusiast to ensure the highest quality standards at all stages from grain to glass. What does this role involve? Well, the head of beer quality will continuously improve the quality management across both breweries and introduce a new standard if deemed necessary, as well as being responsible for the beer out in the trade. If you're successful, you'll manage the quality control departments of both an Austell Brewery and Bath Ales, as well as being responsible for a small team of beer champions whose purpose will be to audit and maintain high cellar management standards and assist training bar staff to ensure the perfect serve every time of their award-winning beers. Now, before you get super excited and think, I've got more untapped checking badges than anyone on planet Earth ever, hold your ponies because they are looking for an established industry professional with a proven track record. The ideal candidate will have either a formal brewing for qualification and production and laboratory experience or be a specialist in cellar management and quality systems, as well as being a passionate, enthusiastic beer lover. Knowledge of quality standards such as Salsa, Hassup, Femus, etc. is required as well as being a genuine people person who seeks reward from developing, mentoring and empowering others to achieve their personal and business goals. If this sounds like the kind of role for you, then get ready for a career in brewing only at brewing-jobs.com. Head over to the site, find the job, click on the link and apply for the job today. Finally, before we crack open today's episode, follow us on all the socials at Hop Forward Beers. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that each and every week when it comes out, it goes direct to your device. And join our Facebook group by searching for Hot Forward, where you can converse with other converse. Look at that. Uh, where you can uh, connect, whatever the word is, converse, connect, be in tune with other like minded. Uh, brewery and beer professionals throughout the industry and check out our website hopforward.beer if you are in need of branding and marketing on website development or business development for you and your beer business uh, head over to hopforward.beer you can see a snapshot of our work and be glad to help you in some way shape or form to add value to your brand and your business Right, so let's open a can of worms with today's discussion with Tim Dewey from Timothy Taylor's talking all about SBR from the perspective of a large family brewery. So today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined once again by Tim Dewey from Timothy Taylor's. Hello, Tim. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, Nick. Thanks. It's been a while since I last saw you pre pre COVID. No, I know the world's certainly changed, hasn't it? Yeah. So how how's uh, Timmy Taylor's been throughout lockdown and everything? 
How did you deal with well, it? Well, it's uh, it, it was just a bit of a nightmare because, uh, as you can imagine, you know, we went from sailing away in February, you know, doing well, to all of a sudden by the end of March, we were kind of in um, existential crisis mode uh, with a lot of beer that people wanted to return, with the pubs closed. Um, although we have bottle sales and those uh, did well during lockdown. It's not really what we're famous for or yeah. the core of our business. So, yeah, for for three three and a half months, uh, it was uh, it was very traumatic. I mean, we do feel um, the government schemes were quite helpful. Mm. Uh, at its peak, we had ninety of one hundred and six people on furlough, and the other thing we took advantage of is HMRC allowing dispensation on payments of duty and also on uh, payments of VAT to help with cash flow. Yeah. Um, so, th- and things have started back, if I'm honest, a bit better than we thought. Um, I think with the weather and a lot of uh, pent up uh, thirst amongst consumers, um, combined with the eat out to um, help out scheme, um, you know, we were doing satisfactorily. And I think the big concern is what happens as we get more into October, November, December. Mm. Are people less likely to want to go to pubs when they have to be indoors? Does the virus come back, et cetera? So I think it's still incredibly testing times for the industry. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, what kind of volume does CAS make up of the business versus small pack? Um, CAS would be sort of uh, ninety, almost 90% of the business, right, okay. a little oh, wow. bit less than that. Okay. But yeah, the, the heart of our business is, is CAS beer. That's our real focus. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So um, I want to talk about um, SBR today, or small breweries relief. So towards the end of July, the Treasury announced that they're going to reform the scheme, although they've not given full details yet. And then obviously, you know, a lot of independent small breweries took to social media and and said this is outrageous and and so on and so forth. And then various breweries made statements of which Timothy Taylor's were one. um, And you made one on the 22nd of July, which seemed to cause a bit of a stir. So I I wanted to kind of unpack that and your thoughts behind that and and your position on it. Um, But firstly, I mean, people can go on the website and and read it for themselves. So I suggest if you listen to this podcast now, do that first, because it'll give some context to this conversation. Um, But just to sort of, start at the top and work our way down because I don't fully understand it and I'm on a bit of a journey to try and understand it more. Right. Um, you talk about using cash value rather than a percentage for SBR. Can, can you explain in layman's terms what that actually means? Yeah, so if you go back to 2002 when the scheme was set up uh, by Gordon Brown, mm. um, the way that the relief was set uh, in this area we're primarily talking about, which is between zero and 5,000 hectoliters, was that people would get a discount of 50% on the duty rate. So just using a round number, if the duty rate was 26 pounds, yeah. then a small brewer below 5,000 would pay 13 pounds, whereas a brewer like ourselves at outside of the scheme, we would pay the 26. Mm-hmm. And you know the rationale on that was to make up for the lack of economies of scale that these small breweries have. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that our scheme, if it is about economies of scale, it begs the question why our scheme is 10 times more generous than Germany's and two and a half times more generous than France's. Are their economies of scale different, et cetera? So you start to get into some of the 
you know, complexities uh, about it. But, yeah. but sticking to the point you, you kicked off with, the reason that that percentage versus cash becomes important is that as the years went by, uh, the government at the time brought in the duty escalator, which meant that they increased the duty rates, not just by inflation, but inflation plus 2%. Mm. And of course, because small brewers relief was related to a percentage of duty, as the duty rate escalated, so did the value of small brewers relief. Do you see, do you see yeah. my point? Yeah. So um, I think I've got the figures here. You know, back, I'm, I'm using back in 2005, it was worth about £11.39 for a 4.3% cask beer. Mm. But but by, by um, 2019, that had become £16.79. So the reason I said that, in fact, in my submission to the Treasury, I said to them, look, if there's only one thing you do, please convert from percentage to cash. Because what that means is that over time, if they move back into a world where they're escalating duty because they might need money and look look at the kind of financial situation at the moment, yep. we won't run into a situation where the small brewer's relief keeps escalating because small brewer's relief shouldn't, should be related to this economy of scale point, not the fact that the government's trying to raise money by uh, – you know, raising excise above inflation. Mm. Just talk about, you mentioned France and Germany there. Um, yeah. So how, how does it work over there? Because obviously I think when you're in the UK, you very much in, you can be very much in your own little bubble and not be aware of how other duty systems work. So how, how does it work over there? I, I don't know the details of the scheme, but what um, when, when I first looked into this whole small brewers relief um, program, because let's face it, I, I'm not a brewery lifer. You know, I came into the industry six years ago. I like to think, you know, I've got still a fresh perspective on it. My life was in was in spirits. And I was gobsmacked to find out about the small brewers relief scheme because, you know, when I was in a soft drink startup trying to take on Coca-Cola, I didn't have any kind of similar support. Or when I did consulting for a gin startup, there was no sort of scheme. Mm. Um, and one of the charts that I pulled up was it gives – um, you know, and I can send it to you after the podcast, but uh, it gives the different small brewers relate to uh, small brewers relief figures as a pence per pint looking across the EU countries. Um, and, you know, we're up there at almost like 26p a pint. Uh, and you go down to other countries where actually they're not even running a scheme at all. So the interesting, just an interesting fact is if you take Spain and Italy, They've seen a dramatic growth in craft breweries, but they've not had a small brewers relief scheme because there's a view, uh, as we've seen in other food and beverage categories, that there was a general trend that people wanted things from more local provenance, more crafted, more quality. So there was a view that uh, even without small brewers relief, we would have had the craft beer movement. I think what craft, what the small brewers relief did was helped accelerate it even you know, even more by providing that extra incentive. Mm. So how would a cash value rather than percentage be beneficial, both to a brewery the size of Timothy Taylor's, and how would it be beneficial, particularly to those breweries between the 2,100 and 5,000 hectolitre mark? Well, I don't think beneficial to the brewery is the right way of coming at the question, to okay. be honest, because I, th I think you've got to go back if I can just go backwards to go yeah, forward, yeah, yeah, go for 
Okay. When I came into the industry, the thing that amazed me compares to spirits was how commoditized the beer industry was. Yeah. Okay. So I'm talking, in, I found in the files from 2005, a letter from Weatherspoons saying, this is our new beer pricing policy. And it literally said, you know, from beers from 4% to 4.3%, this is the price. From 4.3 to 4.5, this is the price, et cetera. Mm. Now that's the very definition of a, of a commodity, you know, you couldn't imagine Weatherspoon's putting out a similar document that said, um, you know, for gin, this is our pricing for gins at 37.5%, your gin needs to be this price. Uh, or for cars, you know, all two liter cars have to be this price. So the industry has an ongoing issue uh, well before small brewers' relief of, of being quite commodity and price oriented. Mm. And um, what I feel has happened is that. When they set the scale of small brewers relief initially and then exacerbated by this duty escalator and the way it's ramped up over time, it's put a big price uh, wedge, as it were, into an already commoditized market. Mm. And the reality is that when I've, when I've studied the data, and I think this is one of the things people go off and say various things on social media, but how many people have really looked at and understand the market. I'm a marketing guy. That's my, you know, uh, my trade and business. And when you look into it, what's clear is actually when you subtract duty in real terms, forgetting inflation, just in absolute terms, the price of cask beer now is lower than it was in 2005. And I was able to prove that because I could use the Weatherspoons tender from 2005 and subtract the duty that was in place then. Okay, mm. so so the rea and, and if you applied an inflation adjuster to it, the price now should be about 11 pounds 40 higher than it is. Yeah. So my my question is, how has the industry been able to survive with the price effectively decreasing by 11 pounds 40? And the answer to me has to be that small brewers relief coming into this commoditized market um, has further commoditized it and, and made it even more price price driven. Mm. And that most of the benefit of small brewers relief is going into um, competing on price. And so my, my concern is if you if you keep putting more and more price into the marketplace by increasing small brewers relief, it becomes a zero sum game because these brewers are largely competing with each other and you're just driving the price, the price down. And so, you know, when, when you say to me um, a question, let's go back to your original question, how does converting it to cash um, help the market? It helps the market because if it doesn't increase and duty does increase, it becomes a lower percentage of the total price and the market can get back a bit of pricing power. And for, for, for the small brewers who genuinely want to build brands and build their business and everything, they've got a sustainable marketplace. Mm. Um, and, and, and in case you think this is a, you know, Timothy Taylor's large brewery perspective, um, if you Google uh, Northern Monk, Russell Bizet, back in 2017, there was a headline in the morning appetizer. I can't make money in cask beer. 
And the reason it can't make money is because over time, the price has just been, been driven down because the majority of small brewers' relief has been used to compete on price. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, and so what I'm trying to do is um, two things, really, or what I was supporting in my submission to the Treasury was two things, was one, I want successful small brewers to be able to grow. I don't want them to have a disincentive when they hit 5,000 hectoliters. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want more and more subsidy going in in what I believe is an already subsidized sector because that's only going to drive down price for, for everybody. Mm. And so that's why we supported this very modest tapering, you know, between, say, 2,000 hectoliters and 5,000 in return for some better tapering above so that successful small brewers aren't penalized for their for their success yeah so i mean that brings me nicely on to uh, a yeah. question i had about cast beer so i think one of the reasons that small brewers are up in arms in particular about the reforms is due to the devalued pricing of, of cast beer so like yeah. you, you, you mentioned about uh, like a, a 16 pound 79 benefit in beer ge tax relief on an average 4.3% beer on, on your statement. I mean, given that many small brews who benefit from that relief already have a, a slim profit margin on cast beer, but, you know, due to, again, economies of scale, raw material costs, the type of ingredients they use in those beers, I thought you made a good, good point about whether spoons and and these pubco pricing yeah. in that it, they're looking at percentage rather than, yeah, you might brew a 3.8% session IPA that's hopped to, to the eyeballs in Citroen, Mosaic and Simcoe, you know, it's going to be a pricey beer, um, you know, and distribution costs. So if, if we've got that going on um, and there are breweries around that, uh, we'll say 3000 hectoliters uh, yeah. annually for argument's sake, uh, who have these really slim margins in, in cast beer, um, I mean, do you, you know, a lot of these breweries are talking about let, they might have to lay people off and so on because the market is so devalued. And I know yeah. we've talked before about needing to put a higher value on cast beer. And as, as, as the whole industry is talking about, yeah, yeah. oh, we need to value cast beer more and people yeah. need to pay more for it. I mean, like, how do you balance all that together then with people saying, well, we're going to have to lay people off because we just can't get that premium on cast beer versus you know I, is this realistically going to push up the price of cast beer is it just going to allow those people that can afford to make margins on cast beer sell it for better margins while the people that can't lose out yeah well the first thing is it's it's incredibly modest changes i mean some of the figures i've seen uh quoted on the changes are unbelievable there was one uh, ge uh gentleman who said um I'm going to have to put 70p on a pint of beer and, you know, I'll go out of business. And I, and I went back and I said, look, I'd like to see your maths. My calculation is 1.4 pence a pint. And I literally shared the maths. And I said, and by the way, that's using the most extreme example. And we don't yet know how the government will be, will do the tapering. And I think the other, um, the other point is that, um, what I liked by the, the Treasury letter that, that um, the minister sent to SEBA was that she said they're looking at very different types of tapering above 2000 because one of the points that's been raised is whether we're just going to create a new cliff edge at 2000 hectoliters. Mm. But they're looking at different models that so maybe you get a much nicer, you know, smoothing for people. But uh, back to your other point, um, I understand there are breweries, the breweries are working on on tight margins, but 
that's the name of the game. You have to then figure out how do we, what is it we do to get a higher price? How do we differentiate our beer in terms of ingredients and everything else? And then you have to be firm about the price that you you charge. Mm. Um, so, so I won't avoid uh, the point that clearly if there's less subsidy below the 5,000 hectoliters, then, then there will be pressures put on brewers, but the reaction that should then be, well, wait a minute, we need a higher, you know, we need a higher price for our beer because we're paying higher duty rates because it worked the other way around. When small brewers relief came in, customers that these brewers were selling to knew about the small brewers relief and said, Oh, wait a minute, you're trying to charge X. We know you get, you know, you're only paying Y in duty. Mm. Um, so, so look, I would love, uh, you know, the world to be a perfect place and there to be room for 2,000 breweries to all grow and prosper and everything else. The, the reality is um, you've got a declining on-trade market. Let's yeah. take Cascale. Cascale, the last three years, has declined by 6% per annum. Mm. And so you've got a smaller market, which means not everybody is going to grow and prosper, but the ones who will are the ones who really work on differentiating their brand, the quality of their product, you know, moving away from the commodity philosophy. And I've, I've tasted some fantastic cask beers produced by the very smallest microbrewers, but I've also tasted some really, you know, some really poor ones. Uh, and, and the reality is that the, the people who um, really focus on quality, on, on, you know, the right ingredients, the right philosophy, focus on building their brand, you know, they will succeed. And these, this small tapering is not really going to make a difference. Mm. What's not going to help our industry is trying to cure the commoditization issue by pouring yet more subsidy in that just means we go into another round of price fighting and it gets people nowhere besides driving even more value out of the category. Yeah. Do you think um, a lot of the, I suppose, fear and panic, for want of a better word, has come about because the government haven't announced what the tapering is yet so i mean because unfortunately human instinct a lot of the time is to think the worst rather than have a really optimistic mindset and also do, do you think that this could possibly want to be one of those instances a bit like brexit now I, I i'll openly say on this podcast i voted remain for whatever reasons i voted for them they're my reasons i don't generally try and go into politics too much publicly um yeah because they always say you should never discuss two things politics and religion <laughs> and um certainly not on a first date i think yeah 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 um and i mean i am guilty of doing both at times so I, I i try to to not do it too much on my podcast um but do you think it's gonna be one of those things where at the time of of, of brexit which is still now although we don't yeah. think about it as much because of COVID, you know, people in the Remain camp are up in arms about it. But in the fullness of time, in like 20 years, we might look back, I might look back, who voted Remain, I might look back and say, I voted to Remain, but actually leaving was the best thing we ever did because I don't have the benefit of hindsight. Do you think that this might be like this for for, for small brewers or, or not? What, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, a, a couple of things. The first thing I would say is... Um, what I find amazing is 
uh, and I'll come on to this point about concern because you don't, we don't know exactly what the tapering is, but I think the first point people should realize, we should all thank the government for, is that they renewed the scheme. You know, this is a scheme that no other industry has, and it's worth 70 million pounds. And they could have done a review and said, you know what, we've got, we need to support the NHS, we need to support, you know, education or whatever. We're not going to renew the scheme. But in fact, they've confirmed, uh, and the letter from the minister confirmed that they, you know, they're putting in 70 million and they're prepared to see that amount grow. So that's the first bit of good news that people just, you know, I sometimes look at the reactions and you'd have thought they pulled the rug on the whole, you know, the whole scheme. I, I totally take your point, though, that it's the fear of the unknown. So, and, and the reality is a lot of brewers, I don't honestly think, understand all the nuances of both the Small Brewers Relief Scheme, but also what, what was meant by this tapering. And again, I've seen some people thinking it just means you lose Small Brewers Relief, you know, once you're over uh, 2,100 hectoliters. Um, so I do think it would have been good to get it all at once. I think that the, let's look at the positive side. The reason the government didn't do it all at once is there are these technical issues they did want to con genuinely consult on, mm. which is how you then taper it. And I don't mean just the amount of tapering, but can you come up with a genuinely smooth curve that means that people avoid all these cliff edges, you know, and the and there's no disincentive whatsoever to growing or exporting or or or, or whatever. Mm. Um, and that's and that's what I'm hoping, um, you know, is being done at the moment and thought about at the moment. And I, you know, would encourage all the, whether it's brewers or industry people, rather than petitions to stop, you know stop the review that that train has left the station it should be actually focusing on well how can we work to get a system that will really work as well as possible for the industry yeah so i mean have you been involved with government consultations like directly have you been able to talk to ministers yourself yeah or? i went to uh um when robert jenrick was the minister involved it's now uh kimmy badnock but when he was the minister i went to a parliamentary dinner where there were people from you know seba was represented there were other small brewers there. There was myself, et cetera. Uh, I think there were about 12 of us. And we had a chance to kind of put our, you know, put our position to the to the minister. Mm. Um, and I think, again, this is one of the other points. I know the Treasury um, finds this, I suppose amusing isn't the right word, but, you know, you've probably seen the opprobrium cast on Timothy Taylor's, you know, we're the big awful guys or whatever. And... I think the Treasury can't understand why the heat's not coming on them because we were one of 300 people that made a submission. And, and we made that submission in good faith. And I can honestly say it was, yes, for the good of Timothy Taylor's, but I also felt for the good of the industry. Hmm. And everybody else made submissions. You know, there were small breweries that made submissions that said, do away with the scheme entirely. Um, you know, and it was actually government that then sat down and took all the information and said, look, this is our our judgment. And so people who are really upset with the way it's gone should be looking at, well, what was it about the information that wasn't persuasive? And all I can tell you is when I look at the data, some of the data I've mentioned to you, if I was the government looking at that data, it just 
it is absolutely clear that a lot of small brewers relief is not sitting with the brewery. It's sitting with intermediaries getting better prices. Right. Um, and, and, and so my concern is uh, if you take Seba's position, they wanted to keep all the current regime below 5,000 hectoliters and build in more subsidy above it. Well, that, that's just going to, that's just putting more subsidy into this commoditized, largely commoditized market. And um, it's just going to drive the price even further down. Yeah. We as an industry, all of us need to get off the crack cocaine of price and onto, you know, building sustainable value in the category. Hmm. I'll come on to SIBA in a minute because I'm right in thinking Timothy Taylor's is a, a member of SIBA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'll come back to that in a minute. But I, I just, I mean, con- considering that Small Brewers Relief doesn't really have any real ramifications on on duty for Timothy Taylor's directly at yeah. the moment, I'm just interested to know why, why you've been so actively involved to campaign to reform it. Like, what's the motivation for, for Timothy Taylor's if, if you're not standing at the moment to win out on a, on a cash basis is it what what's the kind of bigger picture for you well we 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 would benefit from a market where prices be isn't being driven down right because because clearly our ability to sustain our price or to increase our price is directly related to um the price dynamics in the marketplace mm. and you know people paint this as a kind of david and goliath uh, scenario and they kind of think of us as the Goliath, which, you know, coming from Diageo and SAB Miller, I find a little bit uh, amusing. But if I tell you this, Nick, if you take 2,000 breweries times 5,000 hectoliters, the current, you know, upper tier for 50%, that is the equivalent of 100 Timothy Taylor's breweries subsidized at 50, 50%. You know, so it's it's a numbers game if you were talking about 50 small breweries you know it 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 doesn't become a dynamic when you talk about 2000 small breweries in a commoditized market that's also declining and people the quickest way people feel to get business is well you know we'll we'll, we'll drop price now and hopefully we can raise it later all you do is drive the value of the market down and then you don't get players like northern monk coming into it they go into keg beer and and you know that's part of the reason why i think uh cascale is in you know uh, is in difficulties mm. so just going back then to seba um which you're a member of um yeah. they they said recently there's no political economic or rational case removing any relief from any small brewer and that it wants to see positive reform of the curve above 5,000 hectoliters, making it easy to grow a business by removing the cliff edge as relief is rapidly withdrawn. So, I mean, wh- what do you... So, as, as a member of CBA, um, that is a sort of actively standing against CBA's stance on it, like, h- how um, how does that dynamic work? Um, because it's... I mean, there's a, there's a, the the Ciber thing's quite loaded anyway because a lot of their members a couple of years back voted not to bring this issue up, and Ciber went against their membership yeah. and brought the issue up anyway. And so yeah. some people have argued, well, you know, this is it's kind of like being highlighted because Ciber brought it up. So how, how does that dynamic work for Timothy Taylor's and Ciber? Well, you- I suppose it's no different than uh, being the member of 
the Labour Party and the Labour Party's policy being remain, but you're a Brexiteer. You right. know, at the end of the day, you're not going to agree on ev on everything, but you hopefully, um, you know, that hopefully there's enough um, to, to keep you as a member. Um, but I do think it's challenging because my, my concern with SEBA is they strike me at the moment as a little bit of a one-trick pony. You know, everything is SBR, mm. and they they list various issues the industry faces, and then the answer is, well, we need more subsidy. And I think, you know, why aren't SEBA running, um, why aren't they running uh, marketing workshops? Why aren't they asking me to come in and run marketing workshops for their members to talk about differentiation, how you can build value, you know, et cetera, et cetera? Why did they run a beer flex system that reinforced the commodity approach? Their beer flex system, which SIBA members can sell through, literally had by 0.1 of an ABV, you know, 4.1 ABV, this is the price. I've, so, I've sold this, through it. I've sold through that, yeah. that very thing. I, I sat on with the director of the Sheffield Brewery Company when I worked there yeah. and I, I, print, I printed all the figures off and showed him all the beer flex figures and was like, this is all the beer we've sold through that system and here's, yeah. the, here's the net profit. Yeah. And I was like, here's the, you know, and how many firkins of this particular SKU it was, you know, um, we'll just say 60 for argument's sake. And then here's the six firkins we've sold directly through our tap room. The profit yeah. margins, the net profit was so much higher from those six firkins than all those 60. So yeah, yeah it's it, you know it, I I mean I could, I could take your point and actually that um I was gonna, I was going to ask how um breweries that don't have economy of scale behind them and haven't been able to uh, craft a, a tried and tested brand over many years like, like Timothy Taylor's landlord for example are, are going to be affected by um, stiffer competition on pricing and how it was going to be um, advantageous for those breweries you know if if they bring a, a reform in but like. Obviously, you're a marketing guy, and you've got vast experience in business. But for people that are basically, you know, their business, their brewing business is well five years old, seven years old, you know, yeah. and and they've they've ridden the crest of this due to reform reform wave, but probably but may not have that um, marketing experience. Like what? What can they do now? You know, if, if they're going to be in that bracket, it's like, man, this is going to, they're looking at it thinking this is going to really affect our business. Like, what realistically can they do? Like, give me your advice. You know, what can they do to, to well, drive the price I, I up? Think, yeah, I think, it, you know, the first thing is to be, to be honest and say it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. The, the market over the last 10 years has just been driven into a real, a real mess. You know, mm. it, it's it's very devalued. I mean, when you think that Marston's put out a pricing hierarchy, I don't know if you've seen it, and you know of all the different, and they've got craft kind of ale or craft beer right at the top, and they got cask ale yeah, I've seen it. at the yeah, bottom, yeah. and 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 um, people have been in meetings representing big companies, um, and they've sort of said, well, we're not really terribly interested in cask ale. It's got too much wastage, um, and the um, you know. Uh, the, the, we don't make good margins on the pint price because it's so low. So I, I would love to say there's like a magic wand solution and, and there isn't, but what it is is it's, and this is why I want the small brewers relief to encourage the people who are successful because it's about 
back to my marketing background, it's about understanding what the consumer wants um, or making them value what it is you've got and then making sure you're getting a good price for that and not compromising because the fact is anyone who has a philosophy that says, well, we'll go in at this price to get the business and build our brand and then we'll leave, you know, then we'll move our price up um, is ignoring 110 years of pricing uh, theory and, and, and reality. You know, the price you go in at is the best price you're going to, you're going to get give, give or take. And, um, if, I don't know if it's too much detail, but let me just give you one example, Nick, of, of what I mean about uh, as I get really frustrated with. So I won't mention the brewery, but a small brewery was telling me about how they decided to grow their own hops, um, you know, that they hadn't done for years and whatever. And um, so they grow their own hops and then they're making a special brew with not hops bought in, but hops grown right there near the brewery and everything. So as a marketing guy, I'm thinking this is a you know, fantastic story. And and anyway, they talked about how they were going to name it. And then I said to them, oh, okay, great. And I think they bottled it as well as cast. So mm. I said, I said, have you charged a premium for it? You know, given all that extra effort? No, no, we needed a listing with, you know, Tesco or whatever. So, you know, so I said, what, you're selling it at the same price as all your other beers? And, and they were. And I mean, it's just shooting yourself in the in the foot. And I think people are so... It's such a volume-oriented market, and people are so uh, quick to try and get the volume. They don't lay the foundations for a proper brand, for proper differentiation, for proper pricing. It's not a quick uh, game. If I if I give you a parallel, uh, when I was in the spirits industry, Bombay Sapphire. Everybody knows Bombay Sapphire now. I mean, Bombay Sapphire when it started out had a tough old job. It took almost ten years of seeding the brand and building it in the right outlets mm. with the right premium price, you know, doing things properly. And I think the, the, the challenge is people get into brewing and they want to get from A to B very quickly. And, and there, and there are a lot of them and they don't lay that, that foundation. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier about um, breweries of your size and, and bigger having global beer causing a, a threat, um, basically in terms of price and economies of scale and access to networks, you know, way beyond the majority of most small breweries. Would it not be better for the members of the Small Breweries Duty Reform Coalition to be basically put their efforts into supporting a full CMA, so a Competitions and Marketing Authority inquiry into the wholesale beer market? Because, um, again, I'm... I'm kind of echoing what I'm hearing a lot in that a lot of, again it's a lot of people see it as the whole David versus Goliath thing you know the, the big yeah. breweries are ganging upon the small ones and, and breweries like Timothy Taylor's uh, the middle guy being squeezed from both ends I mean yeah. what, what's your response to that well I just think it's a totally uh, totally separate issue I mean by all means if and this comes back to my point about Siba and mm. a one a one trick pony I mean identify the issues that you've got and then work on what's our strategy to address it, but don't have everything come back to one thing, which is small brewers relief. So, you know, I've seen some of the posts where people are saying, well, actually forget the, forget the economy of scale thing. A small brewers relief there is to compensate us for access to market. Well, it's not there to, 
It's not there to compensate for access to market. And of course, access to market is, is challenging, but then you got to look at, well, that's an issue. What's, you know, what's the way to approach that? But approaching it isn't, in my opinion, putting more subsidy in the market and the way we're going to get access is use that to drive down price further because it just, you know, it just drives down the price for, for everybody. Yep. And the, the real irony is, if you think about it, is in every other sector, a crafted product should command a premium, you know, um, with these gins that come out. I mean, I haven't seen too many of these uh, artisan gins come out and decide they're going to go at, you know, undercut Gordon's by four pounds a, a, a bottle or whatever. You know, they're premium, they're special, etc. And that's craft should have lifted the value in the market, which is what we need, because if you've got a declining market, the path to growth is not volume, it's value. Hmm. Extracting more money from the consumer for every single purchase. And yet we in cask beer are are in the downward spiral because, you know, it's almost like a race to the bottom in pricing. Um, maybe the consumer is still paying a high price because intermediaries are benefiting from that, but it's not really uh, building the industry in a sustainable, in a sustainable way. Yeah. Is that why I kind of, I kind of lost track of your initial question. No, and that's, avoid it, no that's, that's fine. It, it, do you think that's why a brewery like Cloudwater pulled cask beer a couple of years back because they were like, we we, we just can't make the margins on this. Um, but then when they did bring it back, they only sold it to, to verified venues, which they personally verified, you know, yeah. is are you going to dispense this as we want it dispensing and then charged a premium for it? No, abs absolutely. And the other thing is the quality issue because what's happened as this craft movement has developed is uh, bars pubs want to offer a wider range which is fair enough but the problem is when you do that with cask beer you know you've got three or four days to get through the cask and if you're offering a range you you know you're going to split opinion etc and so you know the number of bars i've gone to where you you ask for a pint of beer and it's really bad not because the brewery made it bad but because it's probably been on sale for seven days and it's oxidated mm. or whatever and so, um, you, you know, you've, you've got that sort of uh, issue. And I think, um, yeah, we've got to, you know, we've got to find a way of people valuing cask and making sure it's a quality experience and, you know, and that, and that, and that side of it. Yeah. One of the other things you mentioned on your statement is the flat rate to 5,000 hectoliters and then the cliff edge discouraging yeah exports along with with growth can you just explain that a little bit because i know some breweries obviously export and who yeah. listen to this but there's a there's a lot of small or smaller breweries in the uk that just just don't how how does export factor into okay, all this well, well if you think about it um small brewers relief is related to the duty rate right but when you export you export net of duty to a right. different country yeah so but my thing is that and, and it kind of makes one it makes sense in one, you know, in one uh, in one way in that if small brewers relief was set on economies of scale, then surely if you're producing beer for export, that's helping your economies of scale. Mm. But again, the, the, the thing we found ironic about that is you've got a government on the one hand wanting to really encourage beer exports. And then on the other hand, it counting towards this five thousand hectoliter cliff edge that people don't want to go over so 
The fact is that beer is not going into the UK market. It's not having the distorting effect on price that I've mentioned earlier. So, so to me, there's no need for it to count towards that, you know, 5,000 hectoliter limit. Now, to be fair, that's one of the suggestions that the government, you know, the government didn't pick up on. Um, I think the other point, just on, on a couple of the minor points that came out, is, you know, breweries are having a tough time, particularly with coronavirus. But as I said, I think even without that, with mm. a declining market and loads of capacity, there were going to be uh, problems on the horizon. And one of the issues was the normal way industries deal with that is through consolidation. And the, the challenge with small brewers relief is if you had a 2,500 hectoliter uh, brewery and a 3,500 hectoliter brewery, well, if they got together, all of a sudden they're over the 5,000 uh, cliff edge and the, the whole small brewers relief kicks in, uh, they, they, the cliff edge kicks in. So again, part of our recommendation was, well, why not give them a few years to adjust? So, you know, I don't know all the technicalities of how it would work, but in other words, they could stay on their lower rates for a period while they adjusted, et cetera. And that would really help unlock um, kind of mergers and acquisitions and all, which is what you need in a market where you've got overcapacity. And of course, the generous, the more generous tapering above 5,000 would also help that, you know, because... Um, all of a sudden they're at 6,000 hectoliters yeah. and they'd have a more beneficial regime. Mm. Um, I, I have to ask this. Originally, yeah. me members of the um, SBDRC lobbied government for the threshold to be reduced to a, a mere 1,000 hectoliters annually with an upper threshold of 200,000 hectoliters on annual production. So the argument was, and still is that, as, as we've talked about, the 50% relief gives small brewers an unfair competitive advantage, and yet the brewers in question who will be affected by these reforms, you know, the, the, the I think, what is it, around 150, 180 breweries in the UK now? Will yeah, I'm, I'm, told and, I'm told about 150 are currently in that gap. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't have large pub estates like, like yourselves, uh, like um, Harvey's and, and Oakham Ales and some of the other members, uh, or access to these wider markets. So why, why, do you know why the initial reform proposal was so aggressive towards smaller breweries? Um, I, I don't know. And to be quite honest with you, I, you know, I can't remember that far back in terms of different scenarios that were that were talked about. Mm. Um, so I, I think, you know, certainly how and this is, you know, normally things evolve through dialogue. And yeah. the, the Treasury initially said they would like an industry solution. And so what I know is the coalition, and I wasn't involved in these talks, you know, just a member of the coalition, but the coalition had meetings with SEBA and Camera to try and come up with a, you know, an industry solution. And in that instance, the view was the Treasury would support that. Um, but the big challenge was, if I'm honest with you, SEBA's position, because effectively they, they didn't want to budge on anything below 5,000 hectoliters, but they wanted more above it. And if you're if you've heard what I've just been talking about, to me, and 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 they sometimes talked about that as a compromise. Well, I don't understand what what's the compromise in that because you're saying we want to keep all the existing subsidy and we want more. And and if you follow my diagnostics of the issue, that's only going to exacerbate mm. the issue, not in any way you know resolve it. But so, how um, how is it going to work if we're going into a recession, which we are? 
according to yeah. the news and everything. How's it going to work in terms of the premiumization of of cast beer, which is which, as you say, and as we've said throughout, is historically has been a commodity item. All of a sudden, we're going to be asking people to pay five, six pound a pint um, for a four point three percent beer um, in in a pub. I'll give you a real world example. Actually, I, I was in my, my local shop that stocked some local beers. There was there's one brewery, one of my favourite brewer, local breweries in Sheffield, and um, they, they've got some cans. And I went to pick a can up, and it was it, again, it's a four point three percent, and the can was four pound fifty. And I was like, goodness, before coronavirus, this was like a pound cheaper than this. You know, no, no, I'm not. I don't know whether that came from the brewery putting their prices up or from the the shop putting their prices yeah. up. But I had this moment of like, it sounds ridiculous in a first world country, can I afford this? Um, but it's like, you know, I, I did buy it, but it's just, it's it's that mindset of, well, I don't know if I can afford six pound a pint. So yeah. how, well, it's, how it's, does it's, this all, yeah. how does it work out in, in a recession, you know, okay. pushing the prices like this? I suppose a, a few different things. The first is, excuse me, the government has said that the earliest they're looking at bringing this in is January 2022. Right. So, you know, you're not talking about this is something that's about to happen. Okay. But clearly, we don't know how the economy will respond. uh, And it is challenging. But on the general price point, let me give you kind of an ironic, ironic point. So we, we did our beer hopical storm, we did it as a cask product, but actually tasted quite nice as a keg product. And we put it into an outlet in London. And um, I I wasn't really aware of this until somebody rang me up and just said, oh, look, we've done this test, you know, in London. And Hopical Storm flew, you know, we had Landlord in there, et cetera. And I said, well, what, you know, what was the pricing? And Hopical Storm flew and it was £1.20 a pint more than Landlord. Now, I'm telling you now, I know the brewery they came out out of. I know the ingredients. There's no reason why that keg product, but because it happened to sit in this premium craft category, you know, it got the price. And this is where cask has really blown it. You know, we've allowed Kegdale to leapfrog Cascale and say, you know, we're worth more. And yet you've got all the challenges with handling cask. You've got the shelf life issues for both ourselves and the publican etc so it, it's a right old old mess you know mm. um and as i say I, I, i'm not you know there's no magic wand solution but let's come at it another way everyone's ranting and raving about small brewers relief without knowing the changes and i believe they'll be modest and measured and you know hopefully that'll come out in the autumn my concern is and that's kind of what i put i think in my last statement on uh, uh, sentence on my statement. My concern is it's distracting from the bigger fundamental issues that that we've got, because I've done a calculation. I've been at Taylor's six years, and I've worked out the cast market just in the time I've been there is 20% smaller than it was when I joined. Mm. So what's it going to be in another five years? And so everyone's arguing about these marginal differences on small brewers relief, and you've got a cask market that is dropping like a stone. And you may have seen the chart I put uh, below my statement. We're now on the same decline trajectory that we were before the craft beer revolution. What what are we going to do about it? Mm. And and, and my concern is people like Siba and others, they just keep going, 
more small, you know, more relief, more relief, more subsidy. It isn't going to do it. It isn't going to do it. We've got to get more fundamental about it. Mm. I, I'd just like to kind of tie up our time, not so much about the ins and outs of SBR. I think we've covered a lot of that. Yeah. And um, there's, there's loads of food for thought there. Um, just for myself, I'm sure our listeners will um, be thinking about things quite heavily and, and deeply. Um, but after your statement was published, there was, as we alluded to, there was an uproar from people within the industry in the world of beer saying how they were going to boycott beers like Landlord or Harvest Sussex Best with some very prominent and vocal characters in the industry yeah. leading the charge. I'd be just quite interested, two questions. Like, how, how have you handled that as a team and what would you say to them if you had their listening ear? Because I know Scott, who was your marketing manager, um, he told me that um, over Twitter... He'd received all kinds of abuse and threats, yet he'd only received four emails, one of which was mine, who wanted to discuss the matter further. So yeah. like, how have you guys handled that and what, what would you say to those people? Well, what I've said, I think it's easy for people just to launch at you on Twitter and and just get emotional about it. And what I've said to Scott is, and, and Twitter is no place to have a, a discussion like the one you and I are having today. Mm-hmm. Um so what I've said to, to Scott is, look, make it clear to anyone, if they get in touch, I'm more than happy to speak to them on the phone. Um, I'm more than happy if they want to visit the brewery, social distance to kind of meet with them. Um, and I've spent, I, I had one chap on the phone for an hour the other day, uh, kind of going through a lot of the discussion you and I have had. And by the end of it, we didn't we didn't agree, but he said, look, I'm going to take down my my tweet because I just, I think the thing that frustrates me is um, everybody thinks everything you're doing comes from the worst motives. And I'm not going to deny it. Of course, I'm paid to look after the interests of Timothy Taylor Brewery. So I'm not going to support something that's not in our interests. But but at the same time, I if you said to me hand on heart, do I believe these modest changes are for the betterment of the cask industry going forward, they absolutely are. Because putting more subsidy in, keeping this price junketry going is not going to get us anywhere. And we need to change the dialogue um, to other areas. Mm. I did. I thought I'd read you. I, you know, I've also sent emails back to people. Um, You know, I got one chap wrote in and said, look, I, you know, recant sign the petition, you know, and all this. And I said, um, you know, my final statement was, we run our business and have existed since 1858 because we stick to our principles. That goes for our brewing and our belief in what is right for the long-term health of our industry. So I'm afraid we are not going to abandon our principles in the face of what I feel is an ill-informed social media campaign, brackets, that also seems to reflect a world where people don't seem to accept that there could be valid perspectives that are different from their own. You know, I'm of the generation that's that believes that you get to the best solution by not everybody agree, you know, by not everybody agreeing, by having a discussion. Hmm. And I think this is the thing that frustrates me is people people aren't really talking about the facts or, you know, the realities. It's just a very emotional response, and that's very difficult to, you know, to deal with. Yeah. 
So the the last question then, um, I guess off the back of that really is if if like the book stops with you, Tim, and you, you were able to kind of sort the, the the system out in a in a way that you felt was right and fair for everybody and in the interest of the market. Like, what what do you think is the the kind of silver bullet in all this? Do you think there is one? If you could summarize I, I everything I, you've said. I, okay, look, I think the the silver bullet is getting past this and getting onto the fundamentals. This, that's my, my concern is that if people put as much energy into addressing some of the fundamental issues with, you know, their business, their brands, their beer, the way it's being served, you know, all these sort of things, as they put into small brewers relief, we'd be in a lot, you know, we'd be in a lot better position. So frankly, I'd love the whole thing get to get put to bed in the autumn and then look, guy, you know, and hopefully people see that it is a very gentle tapering and that there is advantages, you know, for people above 5,000 hectoliters. Um, and then it's like, okay, guys, now, how are we going to rescue Cascale? Because we've got a real, real problem on our hands. Mm. Um, so yeah, that the silver bullet for me is getting through this, you know, this particular area and, and, and moving on to more fundamental areas. Brilliant. Well, Tim, as ever, thank you for your time and th thank you for being open to talking not just to me but to the other brewers who have contacted you so I just want to say that massive thank you no you're very welcome nick and as i say i just hope it's taken in the right spirit i can only represent what i genuinely believe in and and and, and the least i think that deserves is respect even if people disagree with it and mm. i certainly you know respect other people's point of view yeah thanks for tuning in to the hot four podcast this week don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Uh, so